Hey, welcome here with us today. We're talking a little bit more about the uh, gospel and how it relates to different relationships that we have. Today, we're going to be focusing our attention on marriage. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to be specifically looking at verse 21. Now, it's important that we understand what we're doing here. Uh, I understand that there's a, an entire series we can do on the marriage relationship and roles and uh, all these different things that, that come out of a passage like this, but we're going to be focusing our attention specifically on verse 21 as a baseline to everything else we do within the context of the marriage relationship. So, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, here's what it says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together, and I pray, Jesus, that as we are looking into your word, and as we're reflecting on the meaning behind what is stated here, Lord, that we would have eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that are open to you this morning. In your name I pray, amen. Maybe you'll agree with me with this. We live in a versus society. We have race versus race. We have men versus women. We have rich versus poor, left versus right. And, and we tend to divide ourselves along those lines. And it's almost as if we're playing a game where the objective within the game or the rules that are set out within the game are intended to divide us rather than bring us together. I believe that that's kind of what's happening in our world today. And if you look around us, you're going to see that we are an extremely divided people. Uh, in addition to that, there's this, that divide, there's this plan to keep us divided. And I think it's because conflict sells. I mean, think about it. Ten years ago, I'm not confident that we were diving into the level of conflict with one another that we are today. Social media has drawn us into conflict with each other uh, um, any of our news media tends to want to draw us further and further apart from one another regarding political lines. And so it, it, it sells and we buy it and, and we gravitate towards it. And, and, and I think it's important that we understand this truth today. And that is that Jesus calls us to service in a versus world. Jesus calls us to service in a versus world world. And if we understand that, then I think it's important, or if we understand it, it's going to reflect itself in all the different relationships that we have. Anytime we get caught up in the versus language and the ideologies that come along with that, we have a tendency to limit our capacity to that which we are against. That's what I mean. In the idea of men and women, because we are talking about the marriage relationship, the idea of men and women, if women and their value is based on how close to having access to the things of men that they can get, I just think it limits. And here's what I mean. God creates man, uses his creative genius to be able to create man. Do you really believe that God's creative genius was so limited that he created woman as second hand? or with the leftovers of his creative genius? I don't think so. There is a uniqueness within woman, a uniqueness within man, that draws attention to just this incredibleness of God's creative genius. And neither is less than the other. 
And there's a really great study we could do on the term used for helper within the book of Genesis chapter two, where it's used there of Eve, but it's a language that's not the way we treat it nowadays. The language in there is, is a word that gets used to describe military governing bodies that come to the aid of Israel to help them when they're being overrun. It is used of Eve here, of course, as the supporter and helper of Adam. And it's used of God himself as the one who rescues his people. And so this idea that somehow women have second place in the creative order is flawed. And I would suggest to you, incorrect. It's equal. And within that equality, there are roles that we serve in order to function best within that equality. The first century also struggled with this idea of the versus language and men and women and, and, and races and culture groups. And Paul is writing to a, a Galatian people. And in writing to these Galatian people, these, these people are they're a divided church. They're dealing with a group of people called Judaizers. And Judaizers were Christians who were Jewish, who believed that anybody who wanted to accept Jesus and wanted to be saved were required to follow the Old Testament laws as well. So they were called Judaizers. And the difficulty of this, of course, is that Paul teaches the Galatians that there's a freedom that we have in Christ that raises us above the patterns of the world and it prompts him to write it this way. He says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Okay, so there's our race issue. There is neither slave nor free. And this is, you could say, is the poverty issue. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so what he does here, he says, listen, there is this, predicament that you are in within the culture that you function within that sets people apart from each other on these various lines, race, economic status, gender. And Paul comes along and he says, hang on, this isn't the way it is. As a matter of fact, every one of you is equal and you are one, you are unified in Christ. And so what I believe that comes out of this is that the gospel gives us freedom from the patterns of this world. The gospel gives us freedom from the patterns of this world. And our relationships need to be surrendered to the redeeming power of the gospel so that they become everything that they're intended to be. And so specifically, when we talk about marriage, marriage, is, there's a truth that we have to acknowledge. Marriage is made up of two sin natures doing life together. Like, I don't know if you know this, but I am, eh, take notes, here's the surprise. I am not without sin. I am not a perfect person. And as much as Janet is amazing for having to put up with being married to me, she's not perfect either. We have two sin natures that are coming together, attempting to do life together. And the gospel's answer to that is found in Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, a lot of people want to park on this term, this phrasing of submit to one another, but I want to park on the reverence for Christ piece because without the reverence for Christ, we're never going to understand the submitting to each other. So the whole notion of reverence is to honor and respect deeply and it's felt 
and it's outwardly demonstrated. That's what it means to revere, to give reverence to. In the New Testament Christianity, reverence for God is demonstrated by our willingness and our voluntary dying to self to obey his commands. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he no longer lives for himself. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, listen, serve one another humbly in love. James 2.12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. As I want to suggest to you, is that what we learn here is that the gospel message within the context of all of our relationships, but especially within the marriage relationship, moves us towards humility. And humility is this thing that flies in the face of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is that devilish mindset that we possess, that some holiness of ourselves that grants us some kind of merit with God and with people. And while selfishness loves to retreat to Self, self-righteousness loves to kind of boast in self. You know, it's this idea that I'm always right or my way is better than your way. And at its heart, it actually opposes the gospel. It pivots, uh, the gospel, sorry, which pivots on our need of salvation, our need of the reception of Christ's assigned righteousness. In other words, um, this whole idea of self-righteousness kind of denotes the notion that Man, I just don't need a savior. I got this all together. I got this. I don't got no sin in my life. Look at this other guy. And it tends to be comparative in nature. We compare ourselves to one another. And in doing so, we make ourselves better. It's self-righteous. But self-righteousness in marriage is always comparing and defending because we perceive that we're always under attack. And so we're always attacking and we're always comparing. And this is to be contrasted with the gospel that actually teaches us that we have actually already been sufficiently critiqued and judged. And the verdict is the cross. We are guilty. Look, we got to acknowledge the truth that we've got these two sin natures coming together and we're, we're hoping for this wonderful, blissful, happy marriage. We've got these two sin natures coming together. And what we find, the truth about both of us, both parties in this, is that we are guilty. We're not always right. And as we stand before a holy God, we stand wrong without the righteousness of Christ given to us. And the beauty of the gospel is that while we were sinful, we were also unfathomably loved. And that brings humility. And it brings assurance. If I understand that I'm guilty, I can't see myself as above someone else. I can't treat them as though they're less than me. I'm, I'm forced into a disposition of humility that 
I don't always have it right. As a matter of fact, I'm probably wrong more than I'm right. And it brings assurance. Humility is at the core of gospel living, at the very core of every great marriage. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he actually says it this way. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I love that. Humility is not thinking of your, uh, less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Couples who model the humility of Christ, humility of Christ, are quickly uh, laying down their rights and they value others above themselves. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 say this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Man, like if, if marriages would just nail this one piece, I would suggest to you that we don't have the issues, or we wouldn't have the issues that we're often facing today. Time and time again, when I work with couples, we have to overcome this selfish piece that comes along. I want what I want because I deserve it and you are owing it to me. Wow. I mean, talk about entitlement, right? When we come to a place where we understand what we actually deserve in this life, it brings us to a place of humility. What do I actually deserve? Nothing. Nothing but actually death, according to the scriptures. And so when I approach the marriage relationship in humility and I say, listen, I'm here not for just my own interest, but also for your interest. And my role here is to help bring about the things that are going to bring this other person joy. Like I serve them. This is what I'm about. I move into this place of humility. It changes everything. And I believe it's a discipleship issue. So let me, let me help you understand this. If you are in the context of your relationship right now, where you are feeling like your spouse owes you something, whatever they, now again, we're not talking about like highly abusive situations or any of that kind of stuff, but if you are in a relationship right now where you feel your spouse owes you something and you don't owe them anything, if you're not moving in their direction, we need to come to this place of humility. Here's a closer look at how Jesus does it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. He made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Like, think about it. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, became like one of his creations. That is massive. And if he was willing to do that, for us, on our behalf. Like, doesn't that model a better way of doing relationship? It goes on, it says, And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. You have this eternal being who did not have a beginning, he does not have an end, becomes like one of us, becomes mankind, and submits himself to death. This is completely outside of his nature to experience these things. And he does it. And he does it because he is giving us the good news, the message of the cross 
about the redemption of mankind and the reconciliation of mankind to God for salvation's sake. And so in a gospel-centered message, we're going to more quickly silence the internal attorneys that desperately want to just get our own way, and we pursue the truth of the gospel. And it's only here that we can, in humility, grow into the likeness of Christ. This is a discipleship issue. I mean, the reality is, is that reverence for Christ means that I'm going to obey the things he tells me to obey. And one of the things we're told is that if we love him, we'll obey his commandments. This is what he says to us. And then later on, one of his disciples, John, he writes in 1 John 2, verse 6, those who claim to be in Christ must live as Jesus lived. And so we need to come to a place where we understand who we are as we stand before a holy God and practice humility. Which means, I don't look to my own interests only, but also to the interests of others. And will not place myself above my spouse. As a matter of fact, it leads us to our second point, which is that the gospel moves us towards service to our spouses. Every single sin flows from the reservoir of self. You catch that? Every single sin flows from the reservoir of self. Uh, Jesus actually says it this way in Matthew 15, verse 19. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. This is what comes out of our hearts. We reduce God and others in favor of ourselves. We do it all the time. I want what I want, and any time that I choose me over God, I reduce God, and I reduce the people around me in favor of me. And it results in this absolute train wreck of a way of living. And what takes place here, actually, is that the more I choose me, the more I'm willing to give myself over to those thoughts that I have, the thoughts of murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And why not? Because what happens when I dethrone God and I place myself in his place is that I become God and then it's all just about me and what makes me happy and what fulfills me, or at least what I think fulfills me. Train wreck of a way to live life. Nowhere is it more glaring and hurtful than in marriage relationships. I mean, we, we sit here and we, we contemplate things like we just can't understand why our spouse handles finances and decisions like that differently than we would? Why we stack clean dishes the wrong way, understanding that, of course, that our way is the right way. We blink in disbelief at the unconventional method of painting a room. And we finally do end up choosing a color. And this whole thing just seems completely backwards to us. And these are tiny issues really in the grand scheme of things. But they greatly intensify during the parenting years. You know, when maybe you can't agree on how do you discipline your kids and, and, and how do you make decisions regarding child rearing and that kind of stuff. I mean, it just further and further separates us, especially if we think that we are just absolutely right and the other is absolutely wrong. And the only way we're going to be able to come past this is if we make sure that they believe what I believe. So many arguments pop up 
My mom and dad have entirely different ways of thinking that may have nothing to do with Scripture at all. But what really makes a life-giving relationship so elusive is that due to our sin nature, we're wired to think only of ourselves. Or at the very least, we think of ourselves first. And so I'm not suggesting that we're just marital narcissists. That's not what I'm saying. But I do think that a lot of people, most of us, tend to look out for ourselves first. James, the brother of Jesus, asks it this way in James chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the passions that wage war within you? We want our own way. We want our spouse to let us go our own way and to actually come with us and follow us. And striving to get it leads to conflict. And conflict, when not properly handled, leads to friction and frustration. And when we're, part of a mar- when we're part of a marriage experiencing these kinds of struggles, we begin to wonder what's wrong. And you know what often happens when we begin to wonder what's wrong? We start looking at the other person. and say, oh, oh, yeah, you must be what's wrong with this. They must be what's wrong with this. They don't do it my way. They don't think my way. They don't love my way. They don't, they don't do anything my way. So they are the problem. See what happens there? We make ourselves number one in that. Why? Because we're the standard at that point. But if God's the standard at that point, you know what happens? What happens is, is that, okay, Lord, how do I love my spouse in the way that you love my spouse? How do I, how do I serve my spouse in the way that, that you would have me serve my spouse? It's not about them becoming more like me. It's be- about us becoming more like him. And that's a different way to do marriage. And when you do marriage that way, that irritable wife that a lot of people complain about, well, she becomes a very different person because of the gospel. She becomes more patient and kind with her husband because Jesus is patient and kind with her. And you know that husband that seems so self-absorbed and only into the things that he's into and he's just got his hobbies and doesn't seem to really care about anybody else. He gets home, turns on the TV, and then just zones out for the rest of the world or to the rest of the world. Man, that husband finds joy, more joy in pursuing his wife than his favorite hobbies because Jesus pursues him. And that's what happens when we begin to look through the lens of the gospel. Marriages surrendered to the gospel are redeemed. That's the truth. Marriages that are surrendered to the gospel are redeemed. And the marriage comes to take on the characteristics of its leader. And in this case, when we're talking about marriage and we're talking about the gospel message, the leader is Jesus. And when we're taking on the characteristics of Jesus in the context of our marriages, we're seeing servants-hearted people. We're seeing people functioning from a place of humility, people functioning from a place of self-sacrifice. We're seeing people who love big and they go farther and faster than anyone else. Jesus and his gospel are the leaders of our relationships. There could be no better leader and no no more important change for us in our marriage. You see, because what happens is that the gospel turns our hearts towards our spouses, not away. So here's what I want you to do. This is a short one. It's a basic truth, 
but it's a profound truth. Spend some time right now praying about how you can show more humility in your marriage and how to serve your spouse. That's all I want you to do. Spend some time praying about how you can show more humility and how you can show that you want to serve your spouse. It'll change everything. Less about you. More about him. And allow his love to flow through you towards your spouse. Submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. Because of the work of Jesus in my life, because of the gospel message, and because of who he is and my relationship to him, I will submit to my spouse. I will serve my spouse. I will make my spouse a priority in my life above any other relationship I have except my relationship with Jesus. And my capacity to do that is 100% dependent on my relationship with Jesus. So go to him and allow the gospel message to truly sink in and recognize that apart from Jesus, we have nothing. We are nothing. And we don't deserve anything good. We deserve death. But because of Jesus and his work on the cross, his willingness to leave that space of eternity, to come down to earth in the form of a human being and to die on the cross for us, we have opportunity for salvation. That's what we have. When we accept Jesus, we are saved and it changes how we do relationship. I no longer am a person who will pursue me, pursue me ahead of my spouse. No longer a person who is self-righteous thinking that I've got this thing all together. I recognize that there needs to be a humility within me. And if there's a humility in me, I am not always right with my spouse. There's a humility that causes me to serve them. And in serving them, and in practicing that humility, because of the work of Jesus in my life, we have a gospel-centered marriage. Jesus calls us to service in a versus world. And in the world that we currently live in, the world we live in, has our marriages set up in a versus paradigm. And Jesus sets it up in a service paradigm. Allow the gospel to permeate your marriage relationship. So this week, it's very simple. Pray about how you can practice more humility in your relationship and how you can serve your spouse better. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. Lord, this is just such a hard topic. I don't like humility, but I need it. I'm really good at focusing on me and making everything revolve around me. That is not your way, and that's not what you call us to. And so, Jesus, would you help us to be a people who practice more humility? Would you help us to be people who become more like you and recognize that what we do is an act of service to our spouse and that our desire should be to serve our spouse, that we would wake up in the morning and be able to say, how may I serve you today? 
Maybe that just be the mentality that we function from, Lord. And Lord, if there is anybody here whose marriage is struggling, then Jesus, I pray, Lord, that they would understand what the gospel can do for their marriage, that the gospel redeems marriages because it sets us in the right spot, that all of us are in need of a Savior. And so none of us come to the table bringing anything fantastic. And we need you. And may we look at each other as people who are not perfect, but the people that we get to serve as we both pursue you. In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen.